The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Voice America welcomes you to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Now, here's the host and CEO of BR Public Relations, Cindy Rakowitz. Good morning, everybody. Today, we discuss a frightening situation where a regional hospital is accused of fraud, cover-up, and conspiracy. Malpractice, wrongful death, and cover-up might seem like a TV show drama, but attorney Steve Vardazarian from the Vardazarian Law Firm tells us how these charges are all too real. We'll be talking a lot about, also, the differences between personal injury practice and um, medical malpractice, because Steve is the go-to, brilliant medical malpractice attorney who has accomplished so many wins I want to say in so little time that he is definitely precedent-setting and groundbreaking and history-making. How's that for an intro, Steve? That sounds great, Cindy. Good morning. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. I want to just tell everybody that I am amazed by you. You know that I work in the world of attorneys because you've come to my office and you see that I, I'm a subtenant in a law office, sure. right? And um, you seem to have so many trials going on at once, I don't know how you keep track. I mean, you must be like with your calendar and the judges and, you know, I have this and I have that. It must make you insane to keep everything in order because I know that you're doing more than most. Yeah, well, it's about three secretaries, uh, two paralegals, and a really good staff that help us get through all these trials. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot of work, uh, but we love doing it. I mean, you are really, really incredible and, um, you know, you know, so young, you know, and so driven. And I just want to say to, from the consumer standpoint, business to business aside, if anybody does have, you know, a medical malpractice issue, they should call your office because there is a vast difference between personal injury and attorneys who really understand, um, you know, medical malpractice. And why don't you just basically talk about the difference? Because a PI attorney will always say that they can do medical malpractice, but that's not always the truth, right? Right, right. So uh, there is a huge difference uh, as an attorney in order to do medical malpractice. First, of course, you have to be able to do personal injury so that you can understand the facets of litigation. And most importantly, Cindy, how to try cases. Not many attorneys uh, actually take cases to trial, and those that do will tell you that it's an art form. But uh, even more importantly, there's a huge difference between trying a medical malpractice case and trying a personal injury case. Uh, the biggest difference between the two areas and uh, being proficient in medical malpractice is knowledge of the law. And so there's something called MICRA, it's an acronym, M-I-C-R-A. It's called the Medical Injury Compensation Reform Act. It was passed in 1975, and basically it uh, caps damages 
attorney's fees, things that you can and cannot do, and so on and so forth. So you have to be thoroughly familiar with that. But most importantly, you have to be able to recognize exactly what medical malpractice is, and I don't think most practitioners do, and we find people suing doctors uh, for no reason. Uh, for example, we get about 20 calls a week uh, alleging medical malpractice. And if you only do personal injury or you dabble in medical malpractice, you may get trapped. You may hear some facts that sound so great that you immediately file a lawsuit. And for the doctors out there that are listening, you know, I sincerely apologize if you've got sued uh, for no good reason and then it's dropped later. Uh, medical malpractice, it's, you know, we have what's called the eyebrow test. So if I tell you about the facts, and uh, the jury or the listener raises one eyebrow and says, hmm, that sounds interesting, but I wonder what the doctor has to say about it. Probably not a good case. On the other hand, if I tell you about the facts and you raise both eyebrows like, I'm not a doctor, but that does not sound right, then you know it's something that you want to look into further. And the first thing that we do, uh, as soon as a client comes in or calls, and it sounds like kind of you're raising both eyebrows saying, what? We find an expert in that area, and we have them review all the medical records, and we get a thumbs up, and then we even look at the case a little bit more and think about if we want to get involved. So we really analyze these cases, and the reason is we don't want to lose. Oh, and, that's, and that's very clear why waste the time when there's so many others that you have a greater probability of winning. Right. So, right. Uh, so uh, the idea is to, in order to have a thriving practice, you have to be very selective you can't just take some things and see if they're going to work out. No, we want to make sure that even for the benefit of the client and in all fairness to the defendant doctor, uh, that, you know, it, it's a case that has merit. So I guess what I'm saying is you really got to be good at personal injury before you get into medical malpractice, uh, and then, you know, you should be pretty good at that if you're going to try to do it. Well, also what I'm very impressed with, Steve, is, you know, you seem to, and I hope that most attorneys that, you know, practice in the medical arena, you know, you have to have sort of a vast knowledge of physiology. I mean, you have to be very, very familiar with body parts. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, I started working in a firm in Century City in about 2004, so roughly about eight years ago. And it was a very uh, fast paced firm, uh, very well recognized. And the first thing that they gave me was a few medical malpractice cases. And as a new attorney, I had never taken a deposition. I'd never spoken with an expert. But most importantly, I didn't know anything about medicine. I have a business degree. And we spent, or I spent rather, countless hours in the library reading about everything. The heart, the, you know, the liver, the brain, uh, you know, systemic diseases, just every orth orthopedics, spine surgery, everything that you can imagine. And... Uh, you know, we come, I came to understand all this stuff, and we use that knowledge. And uh, it's important in spending time knowing all this stuff is because it's easy to explain it to jurors. They really get you. When you come up there and you say, you know, here's what the case is about. If you use big terms and you really don't understand how things work, uh, they're really not going to get it. And it's really tough to win a med mal case because jurors are uh, these days, and um, in history, they favor the physician. And before you get started the plaintiff patient is a little bit behind the starting line. So you really got to know how to explain this stuff. And we spent a lot of time learning the medicine. 
Well, no, and I, and that puts you ahead of the game. And you've mentioned to me, Steve, that you know a lot about spine injury and how to explain spine injury. And that kind of breaks you through the clutter a lot. Sure. So, um, in uh, spine malpractice cases, there's a lot of stuff that can go wrong, uh, and things go wrong for a number of reasons. What we found is typically uh, an MRI is not read properly, and it says that a pathology is at a certain level, uh, and it turns out that it's at another level just because the film did not capture the entire spine, so the radiologist didn't know when to start counting. He just used some anatomical landmarks as a reference and arrived at what he thought was the right level. And so surgeons getting this report will rely on it, and they'll remove a healthy disc uh, and leave an injured disc that's at an adjacent level in place. That's your typical spine malpractice case. It gets a little bit more complicated from there. Uh, but generally, that's how uh, it is. So we tell all our spine surgeons that consult with me. I have many friends that are doctors, and they're calling me all the time. Well, what should I do? This happened, that happened. And I tell them, uh, before you do the surgery, check. Take the film. Make sure that the radiologist did his job, because most spine surgeons can read films. So we advise them to do that. And, Cindy, what we found is that most doctors get sued because they don't have good communication uh, skills. They don't speak with the patient. They have bad bedside manner. Complications occur and they don't tell the patient, um, frankly, what happened. And so you get a lot of situations where patients are calling me, asking me to do the doctor's job. What happened to me? This is malpractice. Where most of the time, and for the doctors out there, again, tell your patients what happened. The thing? Untoward <laughs> result or something that, you know, it's kind of you're uncomfortable with telling the patient about them uh, or telling the patient about it, tell them. Well, because let me ask more, you a question. The more that they know, the, the less likely they're going to be to sue you. I'm sorry. All right, but here, here's, you know, what it's confusing for me. You, you know that I, you know, I'm a crisis communications expert, okay? Yes. Don't most medical schools teach doctors the basics of framing messages? I mean, you know, isn't that included in, you know, patient communication? Do doctors ignore that? Or am I just dreaming that that course is included in any medical school curriculum? Well, you know, we're human beings. And so we don't want to get sued. We don't want to do anything hurtful. And people deal with adversity in different ways. Now, for the healthcare profession, uh, you know, it's, the, it's very prestigious, they're very well respected, and they have our lives in their hands. And so if something happens that is, again, perhaps a complication that shouldn't have happened but did, perhaps something bad happened that should not have, uh, you know, those kinds of things, it's really up to the individual physician on how they choose to treat that. And so, no, that's not taught. Reflexively, as a human instinct, um, you're either going to do, uh, we've seen physicians do one of two things. Even when there really is no malpractice involved, uh, they either will say nothing or when asked, they'll say, everything's okay, don't worry about it. And then the patient's going in and seeing different uh, uh, specialists to deal with the complication that arisen now, whatever it is, for the next six to eight months, and they're really not getting any answers. So I don't think that that's something that taught, that's taught. I think it's something that's learned throughout the course of a physician's career, but it should be learned sooner rather than later because most problems can be avoided immediately if they just you, let the patient know what's going on. 
Well, I'm, I'm glad that you know it well so that you could work on behalf of the patients because, you know, there's a godlike thing that goes with physicians. You know, they, you know, they, they feel that they're somewhat superior, I guess, and that they don't have to respond to simple communication, and that's where the patient really gets into trouble. <laughs> that's true. And ultimately, the doctor. <laughs> right, that's if true. They, There's the a fine line there. You. I mean, they do great work. I mean, they treat our, our us, our families, and um, yeah, we've seen some that they just, they don't feel as if they're obligated to disclose everything to the patient. They come, they do their job, and if something bad happens, they leave, and uh you know, it is what it is. You can assume me, go ahead. I'm not going to sit down here for 45 minutes and explain to you why this happened. And then you find that person in a lawyer's office. They're ordering medical records, and they're having experts look at it, where all you have to do is sit down with them for 10 minutes, and you probably could have avoided getting sued. Silly. Well, listen, we have to take a commercial break. I want to tell everybody that we are talking to Steve Vardazarian from the Vardazarian Law Firm. You want to give a website, Steve? Sure. Um, our website is the, T-H-E-V-L-F, uh, so it's T-H-E-V-L-F uh, dot com. Okay, I think everybody should check it out, particularly if you are a listener and you feel that you have um, a medical issue that, you know, needs to be looked at farther because you are hurting and you're not getting the right answers from your doctor. Steve is the guy. And I know a lot of lawyers, but in the state of California, he is the medical malpractice guy. So we'll have more with Steve. We're going to talk about, you know, a heart-wrenching case in the next segment. So don't go away. Find out which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Movie premieres, TV specials, radio shows, film festivals, restaurant openings, fashion shows, charity events, product launches, parties, media training. At VR Public Relations, we do everything except make empty promises. Grand openings, crisis management, speaking engagements, television, movies, radio shows. VR Public Relations gets the job done, whether it's an intimate party or a huge film festival. In fact, you've probably seen our work in the New York Times, on the evening news, CNN, and the morning shows. Now, it's time for us to assist you. Turn saleability into profitability with the help of VR Public Relations. Visit us online at www.vrpublicrelations.com or call 1-818-783-3307. Movie premieres, charity events, TV specials, radio shows. VR Public Relations. We do it all. www.vrpublicrelations.com. Very rarely does our news media spotlight some of the good things that are happening in our world. For more of these good stories and the people that are creating them, tune in to Bread for the Journey with Mariana Cacciatore. Whether these good acts stem from personal tragedy or just a desire to help out and make this a better world in which to live, you'll find inspiration in every week's program. Connect with those that are doing something great for a change. Listen for Bread for the Journey, Saturdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Oh, 
Welcome back to Stars of PR with Cindy R. If you have a question or comment, call in at 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Here's Cindy Rakowitz. The Vodazarian Law Firm is dedicated to assisting victims of personal injury and medical malpractice in Southern California. They have a particular wealth of experience representing plaintiffs who have suffered serious or catastrophic injuries and families who have lost a loved one in wrongful death actions. Um, they represent clients in insurance disputes, including claims of insurance, bad faith, etc. And if you haven't listened to the first segment, go back you know, and listen to some information about Steve. I think he's a really great person to know. He's, he's located here in you know, the Sherman Oaks area, but um, will take cases that um, you know, are throughout the state of California. He is very, very well-versed in medical malpractice. I've come to meet Steve because he was handling um, really a tragic, tragic case um, that I've learned a lot about. And, um, you know, it's, it's not only, you know, medical malpractice. I mean, it it goes into wrongful death and fraud and conspiracy and cover-up and stuff that would just make anybody, you know, sick. And, um, you know, you've, hand, you've handled this case, you know, really, really well to date. You've done a lot. You've accomplished a lot. You've set some precedents. Why don't you talk a little bit about that, Steve? Sure. Uh, this case, it's not your typical malpractice case, and I believe the reason is, uh, is that there were not only physicians involved. Uh, once you get m- risk managers and upper management at a hospital involved in a case, uh, the tables can turn uh, for the worse, Cindy. And so the case that Cindy's referring to, uh, it's a case with a gentleman who is 42 years old. He was up in San Luis Obispo, and he went in for a routine uh, neck surgery. And following the surgery, he had a complication, again, a routine complication for which they kept him in the hospital to observe him for. And it was, uh, they didn't diagnose it correctly. It was an internal blood pocket that started developing. All they had to do was let the blood out. They thought that his complaints of throat pain and neck pain were a result of being intubated with anesthesia 12 hours earlier. That's what they chalked it up to. Needless to say, a blood pocket was forming in his neck, and it asphyxiated him, is what we allege. And he was found uh, dead in his hospital bed, and he had uh, basically choked to death. That was the medical malpractice case, Cindy. And so typically in these cases, what we see is that the facts stop right there. When his wife or a loved one comes to the hospital, and when they're summoned and asks what happened, They tell them he had a complication from the surgery, and he passed because he was, they had an obstruction of the throat, and, uh, you know, we didn't get to it in time. It happened very fast, and so on and so forth, and they get the medical records, and that's it. So that's your typical malpractice case. Now, what sets this case apart is the fact that when the wife came to the hospital, and asked the nurses and doctors shortly after her husband passed of what happened, they told her that they didn't know. And not only did they tell her that they didn't know, but the risk manager at the hospital got involved and said, well, not only do we not know, we've talked to some of the doctors, they don't know, and nobody really knows, and we have to do an autopsy. So this caught the wife off guard. She figured if the doctors were present at the time 
of her husband's passing, then certainly somebody should know what's going on. They feigned ignorance of the death, and they got her consent, Cindy, to perform an autopsy on her husband's body under the guise, again, that it was legitimate, and they truly did not know why the guy died. They found a pathologist to do the autopsy who has been fired from most counties that he's worked at. Uh, He's considered a highly suspect pathologist nationally. Uh, He's changed his name. He's just, he will put anything on paper as long as you pay him. That's our allegation, and we feel that that has a lot of merit. In any event, uh, this pathologist, after doing the, uh, the autopsy, said that the patient died as a result of fatty liver, which is fat, little fat deposits in the liver, uh, and this is what they told the wife. Now, I'll stop there and reflect on the facts for a moment. The allegations of the case following the patient's death are that the hospital knew that the reason why its patient died is, was a true, you know, clearly a result of malpractice. And in order to cover that up, feigned ignorance of the cause of death and got an autopsy report attributing the cause of death to natural causes rather than accidental, hoping that if they gave the wife uh, the autopsy report saying the guy died, her husband died from a liver condition, she would be happy with that, satisfied, move on and ask no more questions. Well, she didn't do that. She started asking a lot of questions. And that's when we got the call. Um, we immediately had the body taken to our pathologist's uh, lab uh, here in Los Angeles. He did an autopsy report. And what he did that the other uh, pathologist didn't do is he read all the medical records. Uh, he spoke with some of the people and so on and so forth. And he attributed the cause of death to this hematoma that was developing uh, just some internal bleeding after the surgery that uh, wasn't checked. We have pictures of the big blood pocket, so on and so forth. So these are all the things that we alleged. And the most important thing that we found while we were working on the case is that at the time that the patient coded, when he was blue in the face, pulseless, not breathing, and so on and so forth, an emergency room doctor responded to the code. First thing that he found was uh, what he put in the medical record. His medical record is that he had a block, the patient had a blocked airway, and we were trying to bypass the obstruction by putting a hole uh, in near his Adam's apple to get past the obstruction and get air into him. We were ultimately able to do that, but it was too late. He was dead. So they actually knew exactly why the guy died, and the risk manager, we allege, just chose not to tell the wife to avoid getting sued, and they had been sued many times before, and we feel that um, this was all a plan to, again, avoid a lawsuit. Yeah, no, it's funny, when you Google tenant healthcare, you see a lot, you see a lot of suits. <laughs> right. Did you know that? I mean, I was just, because I was doing research on this, as you know, and, you know, you look at, you know, healthcare groups and medical facilities, and, of course, everybody gets sued. I mean, you know, you're in that risk business, but this was, you know, particularly lengthy. Right. They, you know, I it, it is what it is. You can all Google them and find out the things that they get sued for and all the allegations of fraud and wrongdoing and cover-up against them. Some of it, we feel, has to be true. And our case is one good example. So in California, uh, the reason why this case is becoming so important is you can allege medical malpractice, which we've done, and the medical malpractice claim deals with 
the facts from the time the patient got to the hospital up until the time that he was found uh, essentially non-responsive in his hospital bed. The facts end there for the medical malpractice case. Now, what I just described occurring, we feel, is fraud, it's misrepresentation, and it was designed to, uh, again, avoid a lawsuit. So we amended our complaint to allege fraud. But in, in, in addition to alleging fraud, we also alleged conspiracy against the surgeon because we alleged that he, too, knew what the hospital was doing. He, too, was going to get sued and would benefit from this cover-up. And so when the, patient, uh, the, the wife's patient tried to get in touch with the surgeon, uh, who they had gone, seen together, and planned the surgery, and so on and so forth, this he would not Donald talk Ram- to him. Is this Donald Ramberg? It is. Okay, Donald Ramberg, MD. It's public, so it's okay. He, he would not talk to her until after the autopsy, the first autopsy that they had done came out, the results came out. And when he got the results of the autopsy, he knew that, well, this doesn't sound right. So he said, well, we got the results. It may, there may have been a liver problem, but it looks like he died from, uh, you know, heart failure or heart attack or, or something like that. And so, uh, again, that got her suspicions high, and that's when she got a hold of us. Now, the important part about this case is there is now a claim for punitive damages. Based on um, the things that Tenet has done in the past, it seems as if they need to be punished for doing this kind of stuff. However, the problem with medical malpractice and what I was referring to when we the show just started is some of the laws are skewed in favor of the hospital and the doctor uh, to prevent them from getting sued, and then when they do get sued, to prevent them from getting hit too hard on the damages side. One of the laws says that you cannot sue a hospital or a, do- a doctor or a health care provider for punitive damages. And punitive damages are essentially damages assessed against the health care provider to punish them for their intentional wrongdoing. In California, what you have to do as a plaintiff's attorney to get those damages, in addition to the wrongful death damages from the medical malpractice and the fraud claim, is you, there is a lot of motion practice, and you essentially have to convince the court that there is a substantial probability that the jury will find the conduct malicious and reprehensible and award punitive damages against the defendants, and you have to present clear and convincing evidence. So I decided that, you know, I felt these facts warranted that type of, of an award, and so when we started looking into how to do this, I could not find any precedent on the issue. So over the course of a year and a half, we took several depositions, and nobody really had any answers for us. And after we were done doing all this stuff, again, they had no idea why he died, and the hospital wasn't, was now not adopting this uh, liver failure as a cause or fatty liver as a cause of the patient's death. So to, uh, to make it easy, we were able to convince the court in three different hearings, it was over the course of five months, that the hospital did something wrong. And the court said, yeah, it appears as if this is exactly what they tried to do, cover up this death through a bogus autopsy report using the suspect pathologist to avoid a lawsuit. And so the punitive damages uh, is at issue. Uh, the defendants appealed that ruling on uh, the court of appeals turned it down so the jury will be hearing it and as you know tenant is you know worth billions of dollars or whatever it is so they have a lot of exposure here cindy and that's uh, uh, you know we're happy that that's what's going on and that the jury gets to look at this and assess some damages against them so they don't do this stuff anymore 
No, it's and, and that's why it's all precedent setting. I mean, you did your research and you saw that, you know, this is stuff that hasn't been really, you know, filed anywhere before in medical history, right? We there there is not much precedent on the issue. I don't know anybody who's done it. Uh, it just it it is a groundbreaking ruling. Typically, the reason the reason is this: in a medical malpractice case, you're going to take depositions of the doctors, nurses, you know, the hospital staff, so on and so forth, and they're going to give you some type of explanation as to why what happened happened. And the product of that is going to be, you can see that they didn't intend to do anything wrong. They were just negligent. For example, in typical personal injury case, somebody's texting or not paying attention, and they re-rent somebody. Well, that wasn't intentional. You know, they were not being careful, and they just happened to run into somebody. That's negligent conduct. On the other hand, sometimes we get upset parties you know, that are upset at one another, and they will intentionally ram their car into the car in front of them or into their friend's car, boyfriend's car, whatever it is. We have all these cases. That's intentional conduct. Coming back to the med mal context is usually when you ask what happened, they will say, I was texting on, you know, uh, I wasn't paying attention and I happened to, you know, the patient happened to die. So it, it's, it's, it sounds a negligence. Here, we're, I was able to take the depositions, I feel, in a way where they, although they were not going to admit that what they did was intentional, they also couldn't give an explanation of why what they did was essentially negligent. They just didn't have anything to say about it. And the more I kept pressing the risk manager, the doctor, the nurse, the, you know, the respiratory therapist, you could tell that there was a plan to cover up this death. I mean, it was clear. For us, it was clear. Well, that's, so, you know, very, very, very frightening. We have to take a commercial break. We're going to have one more segment with you, and we could continue where we were and then sum everything up. And um, just for ID purposes, again, this is medical malpractice genius attorney Steve Gardasarian. <laughs> <laughs> you like, do you like my description? I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Uh, okay. Well, stand by, and we'll have more with Steve Gardasarian in just a minute after these commercial breaks. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Movie premieres, TV specials, radio shows, film festivals, restaurant openings, fashion shows, charity events, product launches, parties, media training. At VR Public Relations, we do everything except make empty promises. Grand openings, crisis management, speaking engagements, television, movies, radio shows. VR Public Relations gets the job done, whether it's an intimate party or a huge film festival. In fact, you've probably seen our work in the New York Times, on the evening news, CNN, and the morning shows. Now, it's time for us to assist you. Turn saleability into profitability with the help of VR Public Relations. Visit us online at www.vrpublicrelations.com or call 1-818-783-3307. Movie premieres, charity events, TV specials, radio shows. VR Public Relations. We do it all. www.vrpublicrelations.com. 
Michelle Core, Six Degrees is your connected consciousness. Six Degrees is what comes around, goes around radio. Committed to delivering a fresh perspective on thought-provoking, investigative information that can change your life. Six Degrees connects you to the social and emotional scene and is your trusted advisor from finance to romance, mainstream to metaphysical. It's a positive, upbeat look at life, love, and the pursuit of passion. Get connected Saturdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Get free advice from crisis communications guru Cindy Rakowitz now. Call 866-472-5788. Let's get back to Stars of PR. Here's the host and CEO We're back. of PR Publications. Steve Varzarian, and he is the go-to medical practice, me- medical malpractice um, expert in Southern California. And I want to talk again about um, the tenant healthcare. Um, Sierra Vista Regional Hospital case and, you know, repeat why, again, it's precedent-setting, groundbreaking. One of the things that I want to really applaud you for, Steve, is that, you know, the judge really seemed to acknowledge that you went really above and beyond the call of duty in this particular case. So uh, the facts of the case were really upsetting to me. and They hit me at a personal level. Uh, Typically, we get personal injury cases that are ready to go to trial or medical malpractice cases, and I get those. I'll sit down, Cindy, and I'll go through all the records, and I'll spend a lot of time to find out what's going on. So I did that in this case, and when I did, and when I realized what happened, I told myself, you know, I have to be able to prove this stuff. I can't just say it. And, again, the reason why the ruling was so important is because the judge did understand, and typically they don't, because, as I was mentioning earlier, the evidence that the attorneys are able to get to prove this stuff sounds more in negligence than intent, and uh, it was we argued it. Uh, it took a long time, and the judge finally agreed. After five months, he said, yes, what you were saying seems likely. And the standard's so high in order to convince the judge to find that and make punitive damages a possibility, it's a substantial probability of succeeding on the claim with the use of clear and convincing evidence. So he was convinced. Uh, the reason why this case is so important, at least to me and, and the family involved and everybody else that I've talked to about it, is you've got to look at what happened here. I mean, think about it. Your spouse goes in for a routine surgery. It's a discectomy of one level in the neck. Basically, there is an offending disc that has come out of place and is putting pressure on some of the exiting nerve roots that go into the arms and whatever have you. And the idea is to cut out that portion of the disc to, i.e., decompress these nerves. That's a fairly routine surgery. So he has this complication, they fail to diagnose it, they misdiagnose it, nobody looks down his throat, nobody looks at the constellation of symptoms he was having, it was 2.30 in the morning, the doctor was home sleeping, the nurse really didn't know what she was doing, and the guy died. Now, you would think that as a husband or as a wife, when you receive this kind of news and you come to the hospital, you expect that they would give you every single piece of information that they have 
because you're entitled to it. I mean, they hold that info. I mean, think about how important it is. Something happens to our kids, we're calling everybody. You know, what happened? Uh, we, want to, we want to know everything. We want to know, I mean, and that's just, you know, when our kids, you know, we get a phone call, oh, you know, we don't know where they are for five minutes or, you know, so on and so forth. So the information about our families is so important that especially a hospital, you would think, has the duty to impart the information on you. For example, your husband died because he had a blood pocket that developed following surgery, and it got so big that it asphyxiated him in his hospital bed. Or, you know, he wasn't able to breathe, and we weren't able to get to it in time. I mean, they could, they're going to sugarcoat the facts. The truth of the matter is, yeah, we failed to diagnose it, and... You know, the poor guy, he passed away um, in his hospital bed. So what I'm, I'm saying, Cindy, is in this case, the conduct of the hospital is so egregious that when they did not tell the wife what truly happened and forced her to essentially dissect her husband's body under the guise that they're conducting a legitimate autopsy when indeed they were doing it to fabricate a reason uh, a natural reason why her husband died to avoid a lawsuit. It's so despicable that Tenet would stoop to such a level to avoid a lawsuit that it just it boggles the mind. You're, you're like, how can somebody do this to, to, to uh, one of their patient's spouses? So what we're sending, the, the message that we'd like to send to Tenet is this. We understand, you know, physicians, nurses, whatever have you, if you make a mistake and a family member asks what happened, even if it involves you telling them that you made a mistake, tell them, because they deserve to know. Don't do what you did here. So that's why we believe that the punitive damages is so important, coming back to that, because it's going to send them that message. Don't lie to your patients or their families. Be honest. They deserve the information. Maybe, you know, this will be called something like the do not lie law. <laughs> that would be great. Uh, you know, you know we, we see this a lot. Unfortunately, this case is a little bit different than others because in most med mal cases, what happens is this. A mistake happens. The doctor didn't want, obviously, it wasn't intentional. You know, they, they have their patient's best interest in mind and something happens. Now they have a few choices. They could either do nothing, say nothing to the patient, you know, well, you know, the patient's calling them and they're just not saying anything. Okay, that's one thing. They have the right to do that. Number two, they could sit down with the patient, which is what I always suggest, and be honest and just say, look, this is what happened. Nine out of ten times, if you do that, you will not get sued as a physician. That's why the 20 calls we get a week or 30 calls we get a week, we take maybe one of those cases because the remainder are, you know, it's a bad bedside manner and so on and so forth. Or the third thing that you can do, which sometimes we catch physicians doing, is changing your medical records or going as far as the hospital did and the doctor did in this case and outright just trying to cover up your, your neglect. So uh, this that latter category happens very rarely. And when it does happen, it's very rare, if ever, where you're able to convince the court that that's what the physician did or that's what the hospital did and assess uh, punitive damages on them. And that's what happened here. And uh, and we're looking. I'm looking forward to taking the case to trial. I, I can't wait to see what the jury's going to say about it. No, and I think you know the world. The world should hear about it. And um, you know, I want to also congratulate you that you know this was picked up in the law trade of record, 
in California, Daily Journal, so people could look up and see more about it there. And um, a terrific, very, very sensitive um, reporter with Technorati covered the story, you know, chronologically and very, very sensitively, wouldn't you say? Yeah, he the the work that's been done on the case to to get it to get uh, exposure on it is exceptional, and I think it was Brian from Technorati who uh, initially picked up the story, and we spoke with him for several hours and gave him all the information. He did such a wonderful job. He went as far as contacting Tenet, getting a statement from them. Uh, they didn't have much to say about it, um, but yes, he did a fantastic job. We were thoroughly happy and impressed with him. I mean, it, and, you know, and you deserve it. And, you know, I think the world is really, it's the kind of case when the world knows about it, they're going to be rooting for you and obviously rooting for the plaintiff. I mean, it's, it really is a screenplay. Obviously, it, you know, it's not the time where it could be yet, but it, it has all the elements of that. It's just, it's really heartbreaking and it makes everybody rethink about you know, if they're going to have a procedure in a hospital, how important it is to do your individual due diligence and research a hospital's track record because, you know, your life is really on the line. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's difficult for patients to confront healthcare providers. You know, I mean, what are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to say to them? We find this uh, all the time where patients call me and they say, you know, I'm in the hospital right now. I said, well, you know, I, there's nothing I could do right now. You know, it's kind of facts are premature. My doctor's not answering any of my questions. And uh, I, I don't know how to confront him. And, you know, what are you supposed to say to that? That's why we come back to, look, if you're a healthcare provider, be honest. They deserve to know the information, good or bad. Even if you made a mistake, and, and just let, them, let the people know. I think that they deserve to know. And uh, you know, we're starting to make a big deal about it now. I now have a couple more cases where there's some similar conduct, not this bad. I've never seen anything like this before. It's so blatant. Um, but the doctors are actually telling patients after complications, everything's fine, you're okay, go home, it's all in your head. Turns out they still have the problem that they originally came into the hospital to be treated for, and the doctor did not treat it. Uh, they did the wrong surgery. The surgery that they did do is not harmful. Um, but the patient still has the problem, and they're just hoping, the physician's just hoping it'll go away in the next two, three months, and it doesn't. And then we find out later that the doctor lied to the patient about what he did during the surgery, and they still have the problem, and they have to go get it fixed again. So we're seeing this more and more. It's just it's not right. And I'm happy uh, that I have the opportunity to work on these cases to bring some justice to these situations where there otherwise would not be any. So... You know, we're, um, that's kind of where how I see it, and I'm, I'm happy to do it. And that's why people really should think of you as the go-to medical malpractice attorney because it seems to me that you have a lot of heart in this matter. I mean, a lot of intelligence, but passion and heart, and there's great conviction in, you know, your ability to convey that you really, really care about people. So I really congratulate you and the Vaudersarian Law Firm, and um, I know that we will be working together in the future. And do you want to say anything as we close in ending, uh, conclusion? Just thanks for having me. If there's anybody out there that has any questions on a medical malpractice or personal injury case, please give me a call. My phone number is 818 
990-9949. We'd be thrilled to talk to you. And Cindy, thank you so much for all your hard and outstanding work. We really appreciate you. No, and and same here. It, um, I want to. I'm on your side with this stuff. So congratulations on the win so far. And I know that we're all rooting for you in you know 100 percent closure of this case. So carry on, Steve. Thank you so much. <laughs> all right, you have take a wonderful care. day. You too, and everybody, I will be on the air next week, and um, we'll be talking about more areas of the law. This time, it will be collection and collection experts from the legal field, so come back next week, and have a great weekend, everyone. Thank you for listening to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Please come back next Thursday and every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern for more insider information on the world of public relations with Cindy Rakowitz on Stars of PR. See you next week. I am an American idol. I got synthetic to sell. I kill my mother to get out on the TV screen. I am a death row psycho. I